1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 90 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the Defender of the EU the champion of the multiverse, Mark Hillman, and with me like a plot to assassinate the emperor, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler!
0: Oh yeah, that's right, Count of Continuity! He won't be needing me this episode! (laughs) Let's just toss you out the window!
1: Well, you still got a plethora of experience, so we still want you on board. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, what we're dealing with this time is one of these comic series that it, it kind of feels like the last few weeks, aside from the Kenobi review, it's like we're finding ourselves choosing something because we feel that it is relevant to whatever we've talked about recently or something that's been recently completed and whatnot, and we, we've set ourselves up so that it winds up being that we're reviewing a bunch of stuff that just isn't very good, um, again, it's outside of Kenobi. And this is another one. Um, it's just not a particularly good, uh, item that we're going to be talking about this time. In fact, after Mark and I finished recording last week's episode, we were trying to figure out what to talk about for this episode. And we just signed off and everything, you know, and, and don't quote us the odds, blah, 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 insert, you know, a little blurb kind of stuff. And, uh, Mark had asked, you know, what it is that we were going to deal with next time, and said, well, how about Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin? And this was my response and Mark's response to the response.
1: Speaking of next week, what would you like to cover anyway?
0: Ugh. Uh, you think I'll be done with Into the Void by then?
1: Oh, hell no. I'm not that lucky. <laughs> okay.
0: um, what else has been up recently? Um, we could do the Ninth Assassin. Yeah, we could do Ninth Assassin. That's another piece of shit. <laughs> that would work. <laughs> I mean, while, while we're on the subject of Star Wars comics that are complete crap. What? If we haven't on you enough for the last four weeks, here's a little more. Darth Vader and the lack of plot.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we plunge into Star Wars Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin by Tim Saito. And I mean plunge. We're gonna go full deep here, kiddos. Consider this your spoiler warning beyond yours and sentience, because here we go.
0: I thought by plunge you meant that we would need a plunger because we stuffed the toilet full of crap. Um, I find it interesting looking at this issue, or this comic series, because A, it is Tom Seidel's very first comic writing. He's done a lot of other writing. In fact, one of his more recent projects is writing a script, I kid you not, for a comedy show with Weird Al Yankovic. But on his website, since this is his first comic, you know, he, he's enjoying the different reviews that are coming in, and he is repeatedly on his website, Tom Seidel, or excuse me, I keep saying Tom, timseidel.com, he is a- a- elated when he sees different reviews coming in for the comic series. So, for instance, for the first issue, um, he quotes and says, a. Uh, Roku Depot's rates the issue 5 out of 5 and calls it, quote, an impressive debut for Tim Seidel. Comic Bastards also rates it 5 out of 5 and adds, I cannot stress enough just how perfect the pacing and narrative is. Then, the second issue arrives, and he quotes Roku Depot, again giving it 5 out of 5, saying, quote, It's just one cool element after another. Comic Book Ben gives it 9.5 out of 10 and adds, Damn, Star Wars, Darth Vader, and the Ninth Assassin No. 2 is a good comic book. I could have read another 100 pages of this thing in one sitting. Comic Bastards gives it a 5 out of 5 and adds, it's very likely that this is the definitive Darth Vader story, and it's pretty damn amazing. The third issue, again, he goes back to them. I'm not going to go into all the specific quotations here, because it just it's all glowing and gushing, but we've got... Is Roku- it still? Because I, I, I would almost say I would agree with them up
1: until issue 3, because that's, that's where, for me, it got a little, oh my god, what happened?
0: No, this has Roku Depot and Rockin' Comics giving issue number 3 5 out of 5, and uh Comic Bastards uh doesn't have a specific number he's quoting with the third review, but he does say that Comic Bastards says, Well, this issue lacks an intense non-stop action, it makes up for an intense non-stop awesomeness. I'm going on three reviews here when I say that this is the best Star Wars series being published. All three of the issues thus far are better than the movie prequels, all of them. And when I read this book. I remember why the Star Wars franchise is cool, why people latch on to it and don't let go of that feeling. I haven't felt that way about the franchise in a long time. That's issue three. Issue four, Roku Depot and Rockin' Comics both rate the issue a 5 out of 5, so does Comic Bastards, which then opines Seidel is writing the best Star Wars title currently being published. Sorry, other Star Wars titles, but you don't even compare. And finally, for issue number five, Roku Depot gives this issue 5 out of 5 a perfect 25 for 25 for the entire series as does Rockin' Comics and Comic Bastards. Comic Bastards goes on to add, quote, I'm going to genuinely miss Tim Seidel's Corner of the Star Wars Universe because it is some of the best storytelling the franchise has ever had. That's right, ever, and I'm including the films in there as well. So let me ask you, Roku Depot, Rockin' Comics, Comic Bastards, and others out there, what comic series were you reading? <laughs> this was garbage. The plot line disappears halfway through it. You have two com- almost completely unrelated storylines going, and you know what? You can tell when a Star Wars story is going to be awesome when half of the primary characters don't ever even get names. This was a horrid Star Wars debut for Tim Seidel, and if this is a measure of how he does in the Star Wars universe, he should never write for it again. Granted, that makes him valedictorian of summer school, right? Outside of Dawn of the Jedi and Agent of the Empire, which right now are awaiting their next arcs to begin. They're essentially on hiatus waiting for the next arcs. Right now, aside from the novel Kenobi, the last few months of Star Wars have been like racing for the goal of mediocrity. Okay, we've got <laughs> yes, even my cat agrees, meowing underneath the desk here. You've got, you know, Star Wars Volume 2 screwing up continuity, but at least it was pretty in the first arc, not so much the second. Legacy Volume 2 not yet at all living up to Legacy Volume 1. We've got Dark Time still floundering its way and hopefully reaching some type of conclusion to some of the character arcs at some point soon. Um And we've got more mediocrity on the way! I can't wait till we review Razor's Edge! Why is it that somehow we're accepting this relatively dull period in Star Wars writing as if somehow it's awesome because people are hyped about Episode Seven? you know that this might be the last hurrah of this current incarnation of the expanded universe for all that we know it's that's probably it it. they're all afraid to say anything sucks right now at least they cut some more off of the EU tree (laughs) if this is the end it's going out with a whimper instead of a bang I can only hope that we will see more stuff that lives up to Kenobi or more stuff from Dawn of the Jedi and Agent of the Empire that lives up to their previous arcs to somehow reclaim the greatness that could have been this era of star wars but man that darth vader and the ninth assassin as the best star wars comic ever or best star wars comic of the current run Over he he course. must have got he must have gotten an alternate version of it that actually has a bunch of dialogue in it that actually has <laughs> plot points in it um that has anything other than pretty pictures i'm wondering if the people who who went through and and uh, and wrote those reviews did they read it, or were they flipping through for the pretty pictures? Because i got to say, the artwork is alright, but yeah. what story were you reading? Which I guess yeah. passes for my version of a spoiler-free review. Avoid this <laughs> tale at all costs if you want something that is good.
1: Well, if this is the end of the EU, it, it's, it's a pink Rancor wearing a, a frilly tutu diving into yogurt. <laughs> like, what is going on? What happened? There's
0: a rancor, but that's the only thing Star Wars I'm recognizing here. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, it is bad. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that that passes for my non-spoiler thoughts well, on this. Do you want to add
1: something? I guess I'm, I'll add the, the lighter side of the commentary here. I mean, because it did have potential. The first two issues did set up an interesting story. I was very intrigued. I'm like, where are we going with this? What's this whole beam coming out in the second issue? First issue does a pretty good job of jumping in. You're like, whoa. This guy's got a hard-on for Vader. Okay, I get it. But, you know, get in the second issue. They add a little more depth to it. You got some mystery going on. You got some some uh prophecy, if you will. You're like, whoa, things are going to get crazy. And then the third issue comes, and it just completely doesn't deliver. And from there on, it's just like, what in the heck? I For me, I would say the biggest issue that I had with it was a lack of a narrative. If they had a narrative telling you what Darth Vader's thinking or what he gets out of seeing this or what the person in such and such cave wants out of Vader. And, you know, I mean, you get a little of that in the dialogue, but there's way too much open for interpretation and a lot of stuff that just flossed over worse than I would say star Wars volume two of the ongoing Mm -hmm. series when it's, when you, when you go from Luke going, quick, make a change to something, something now, and then all of a sudden the entire plot ends, and you're like, wait, there, there was a lot of good stuff here too, what happened? Yeah, I mean, it had a lot of good potential. I, I, I get where those earlier reviews go, but after issue three, and then it continues through four and five to just dump, 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 I, I just, I feel like you're playing Minecraft and you hit a patch of sand and you're way down in the ground, and all of a sudden, Oh, wait, look at this. The ocean's up above the sand and it's coming down over my head. That's what happened. I thought there was some goodness going on, but I was actually about to get all wet.
0: It's very much like the. It, it, I definitely would say that the feeling of this was the feeling I had from the end of In the Shadow of Yavin. It's just that this time the. Wah, wah, wah happens right around the time the last couple of issues start instead of happening just in the last few pages of one issue. It just. I mean, this was. it was a narrative mess. So this, this uh, was
1: that moment when the opie takes its dump and Jar Jar walks into it in the prequels. You're like, D- do we really have to have this? Oh, icky goo! I mean, well for me, it's like a, a lot of this whole plot chalks up to a been there, done that. I mean, the-, the overall theme of the plot. When we get to the spoiler part, we will go over it again. But it, it is such a rehashed story even though the story itself is totally completely new the plot is very much not so new and i think that that that, i mean when you when you're doing a story about darth vader it's like your your choices are already limited on what you're going to be able to do oh he's a villain or he's a villain with a heart of gold that's corrupted or <laughs> I mean, oh. there's not much you're gonna do with vader here and yet it feels like we're rehashing a lot of the same ground but they're just throwing new new Trisket bits here and there, like, ooh, a Scooby Snack, maybe they'll enjoy it, because it's got some mystery and a prophecy in there, but we won't explain
0: it, we'll go on Mortis on them. I will give it to this, I, I will give this to the series. The first issue is actually pretty decent, it's got an interesting twist moment where you're like, what the heck, for about two seconds, um, and it has one of the most interesting little visions, it, a lot of it actually plays out very much like the end of the Gindy Tartakovsky micro-series, as far as Anakin's uh, or, Vader is in yeah. this place, you know, yeah. where he's getting told that he's part of a prophecy and there's not a lot of explanation to it. But there is a, a panel in this that I almost want to take, and it deserves its own soundtrack because it needs, like, the kind of thing going on because it's one of the trippiest, most LSD induced style um, images that we see in this era of Star Wars. So, again, it has its moments. But its moments are few and far between, and it's much more because of Stephen Thompson's artwork than anything that Tim Seidel did yeah. with the actual storytelling. So let's yeah, the, get our sport.
1: The artwork here. had me excited. I would say if you're going to be looking for this, this is something I would honestly, if I hadn't already gone out and bought it, I would wait for it to come out in a trade. Or I would even wait for it to come out in an omnibus where I could justify getting it with a bunch of other stuff at the same time. This See, is not I, something to rush
0: out and get. If I wasn't a collector... If I wasn't someone who wanted to read it all, use it for the Star Wars Timeline Gold and have all the Star Wars comics in their original form, uh, it's not that I would wait for trade paperback or get it digital or wait for it to come out in omnibus form. Um I, I think would wait until the world ends. In other <laughs> words, I would never read this. Um And I have a feeling we will have some folks that will tell us that after hearing our review. Though I'm sure there are some out there who will disagree uh and instead agree with the the positive reviews that Seidel decided to talk about on his website.
1: We've analyzed their attacks, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by?
0: Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Um, we've got our spoiler warning out of the way. Let's delve into the spoiler side of this and take this issue by issue for what little of a plot exists. The first issue I think is actually kind of cool. You start out with this always unnamed character who is apparently some kind of wealthy industrialist. Um, he is never named. His family member is never named. The person who is the intermediary for the assassin that the ninth assassin refers to um, is never named, nor is the assassin ever named. So you have a lot of unnamed characters here, so bear with us because all we can use is descriptions to refer to them. But this guy...
1: Yeah, let's call him the Baron because he just has a Baron look.
0: Yeah, he's got a Baron Boss Hog kind of thing going on. Um, <laughs> boss Hog, yes, I love so, it. I can see that. So, the Baron with his his horrible mustache, um, basically, his child, his son, was on a planet where the Empire was a, was apparently forcing some type of agreement between the humans and the Nautilans, uh, Kit Fisto's race of people. And Vader was there, just forcing it to happen, whether they like it or not, because of I guess the the end of the clone Wars and whatnot and as a matter of honor, his dad or his dad his son came in to assassinate some of the members of that meeting or assassinate Vader, and Vader winds up killing him in response so this man goes to a planet uh uh that is basically another unnamed location in this entire thing to try to find this order of assassins or this great assassin eventually finds his underground lair where pretty much all of the men who go with him are killed and he finds this weird red uh dragon-like character who is the character on the cover of issue number 1 who by the way is not the actual assassin big surprise um and he learns that this
1: kind of He's got like a alpha or a queen bee look to his species too. I mean his nose ridge and everything doesn't quite match the rest of him. like I was mm-hmm. like were they were they all male female was it like a queen bee or- you know like was he like a <laughs> the one that was born special or
0: you're the leader? hey, you got the big set of horns, <laughs> yeah, we never do get much explanation for him or his species or anybody else that's with him, but we find out that this industrialist has apparently already sent eight assassins. Um, to try to kill Darth Vader in revenge for the death of his son. And none of them came back. He says, you know, uh, he knows that only one got close enough to die by Vader's hand. Three were killed total, and the others he think maybe took the money up front and ran. But the assassin intermediary dragon dude basically says, Nah, nah, they, I, I guarantee they're dead because th- their career isn't made on taking money and running. Then we meet the real assassin who has now wiped out the rest of the industrialist band, and the real assassin, which is a guy that looks like a cheap knockoff of Vader. Um, black suit, uh, metal thing on his chest that has a, a glowing red circle on it, or glowing he, red Yeah, those glowing
1: it. those glowing little orifices on his armor. Yeah, yeah like the parts that, that seem to
0: have no, no point of being there. Yeah. Light uh, me up in the dark. Hey, I'm and he's coming got, to get you He's got a skull like mask with red glowing eyes and such. Um, basically says, you know uh, I'll take the job. I'll go after Vader. Others have failed because they went to Vader. I already know where he's going. Oh, really? How do you know this? They never quite explain, but they assume that the Emperor was somehow behind it. Um, and basically, the cool, th- the coolest thing about the issue is that he basically says, you know, uh, I'm now leaving and I will leave the details of my payment to my associate, the dragon dude. And the Industrials had made a big point about wanting to see the people he does business with. They even go to the point of making the word see boldface to make sure we notice it. And we find that days later the guy is sitting back at home and he's got uh, bandages over his eye sockets because apparently the price was his eyes.
1: Oh, no, Uh, it was his eyes and ears. He he says before that, he goes, don't turn around. You've paid a high price for coming here. You may not be willing to pay the price to see me and leave. And then, of course, that's when the guy says, I like to see people when I do business. And then, you know, he then the last thing he says to him, he goes, very well, then you will not see or hear from me again. You will know the job is done when I place Vader's head on your lap. Right. So, and, yeah, and so that, uh, was, that was a cool yeah. twist. I will give it that at that moment I was
0: five out of five. This is looking cool. <laughs> and th- never mind the fact that Vader only shows up in a flashback and in a brief image of him from halfway across the galaxy. But yeah, this issue seemed like it had potential even though we never got a name for the assassin. We never got a name for the intermediary or the planet or the industrialist or the industrialist son. And my thought was, well... We'll get that as the story goes on. That has happened before, where we've had stories where the details come later. The first issue is meant to intrigue us. So, I'm with them For the first issue, I'm with them. I think that the assassin's look is somewhat derivative of Vader. Maybe that's designed like that on purpose. Um, I found it odd that the entire issue is from the perspective of this industrialist we never met who doesn't get named. But, at that point, I'm buying into it. I'm not digging it yet, but I'm like, okay. This has some potential. As you said, it's not until we get a couple issues in that we realize that Seidel had no idea what he was doing.
1: At this point, I've got a lot of questions. Like, like, who is the Baron, and how did he get the hand off of one of the assassins that that activated the uh, the little swamp mechanism elevator that came up out of the ground? I mean, when they first walk up to it, they're in the middle of nowhere, and he's like, "You got to look closely." And at the end of one branch is this little tiny trigger thing that he trips at, and then everything lifts up, and then there's a little scan pad. So I'm like, "Okay, where did he get the hand? How did he get this information? Where is he going?" Like all these things, I wanted to know. You know. Then we get to that alpha dude. I mean, okay, just the little minion creatures alone look awesome. Like they look like something out of like Descent or or Pan's Labyrinth or something like that. And then you get to the big dude that you see on the cover and you're just like, okay, I don't know anything about you, but I want to know more. And and that's what that's what I got throughout this series was I want to know more. And then it gets over and you're just like, what in the heck just happened? Because it it goes so fast and they give you nothing. You're just like, wait, but you had so many little promises that you gave me that, that this was supposed to be an awesome series because you had this really cool thing here. And this one there, I mean, You know, when they talked about the nine assassins or the eight assassins that came before, I was kind of hoping for some details there. I mean, honestly, anybody trying to assassinate Vader, that seems like a pretty well-known plot at this point. Really, nine assassins, I think this is probably probably closer to 998. Oh, wait, no, this is the first couple months of the Empire coming to be. Okay, so only nine have attacked him so far. But that's going to be a pretty obvious plot that we're going to be seeing a lot throughout Vader's history, at least. Um, and then as we later find out that most of this stuff turns out to be a test, hey go figure there testing Vader. that's not something we've never seen before either. but you know the twist the, the first issue it lured me in. I was there. We get to the second issue and things continue to draw me in. I I'm, I'm digging the art style. no kidding there. I mean I really like the art. Uh, it looks cool and you know I, you get me with a really nice space shot and, and you got me. that's how they got me with BSG that's how they got me with serenity firefly you know i just get hooked on a good space battle but you know the second one starts out somewhere near the edge of the galaxy and you see one of the uh cruisers flying by and you see this little the the part that gets me is they're like welcome ready the welcoming party so okay there's this like escape pod coming in they're kind of ready for it like okay they know it's coming but i don't know it just seems to me like the empire was kind of like shoot first and, and ask no questions so maybe this is that that period where they get it for being the nice guy and letting the escape pod onto the ship because they let it in and they're like you know got some stormtroopers out there in the middle of it they're like hands up and the guy's like the hind snake and he drops to the ground and rips his shirt open he's got like some stitches in his chest he's kind of all deformed and stuff and he's got this weird snake tattoo that twirls around in the middle of his head it's got no head on it and he's like the high snake requires no head to survive like what is it it's a bomb and then of course it blows up as he screams death to the Empire. And now, they're like, what's going on? And then you get that really cool beam that cuts the ship in half. And at this point, I'm just like, holy crap, what is this?
0: Now, a couple things about it. One, these guys all look really weird. I'm assuming it's because of the radiation of the beam itself.
1: Uh, the abnormalities yeah. that, that we right. later see about.
0: If I was the Empire, I would be saying, "Where's this escape pod coming from?" First of all, because there's nothing else in the area—just the Venator ship and uh, the planet itself. I cannot look at the image where he rips open his shirt and shows the swirly snake symbol that looks kind of like it should be tie-dyed on something. Um, where he's like, Aah! "Before the, the storm," the clone trooper says, "Look at his stomach. What is that? It's the I, Riddler." I why well, I, I can't that it looks like the Riddler too, but I can't look at it without thinking the thing that wound up popping into my head early on that I cannot escape anymore, which is a Michael Jackson thing. A whoosh, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, Cause it, it feels like it should be something out of Michael Jackson. And he blows up cr- screaming death to the empire, but it kind of makes you wonder why he even bothered because he's a suicide bomber, which of course reminds me of the tripod song, right? Aren't you the suicide bomber that blew up the bus last year? uh... well you're not thinking it through Um but he blows up and he doesn't seem to kill very many people all he does is kinda of make a, a mess out of himself and the pod on the landing deck and then the big blast the basis as they call it comes from the planet why not yeah. just use the, pod was the a blast for the planet
1: <laughs> but yeah
0: the, the, this beam comes out and just slices the ship in half and i gotta be honest with you the first time i read this through I had to go back because I was reading it issue by issue as they came out. I had to go back to the earlier issues and flip through because if you don't read this in one hole, it's easy to forget about this chunk when you finally see that planet again. It's, it makes this part feel like it's detached even though it's meant to be leading directly into it. But then we get the part that finally starts the other plot, you might say. and And see, this is the thing. It almost feels like this story has two different plots that are only connected by circumstance, and (laughs) you might as well leave out the... If you left out the first issue and the last issue, you wouldn't notice it, because two, three, and four basically are one plot, and the bookends come from the other. It's very bizarre. But Vader shows up uh, to meet with Palpatine, who is flanked by his royal guards in the throne room on Coruscant. He kneels, and before Palpatine can say anything other than, yes, my... Vader just force pushes him, and I thought that was kind of cool, like a holy crap kind of moment, only it's not that he was force pushing him because Vader's making a play for power, which would have been awesome, it's that he's force blasting the throne out the window, thank goodness it's not unbreakable glass, he's force pushing the throne out the window because the throne has a bomb on it. There's apparently a plot working against the Empire and against uh, the Emperor, with the weird swirly hind snake guy being apparently apart, and there's this explosion here actually in the capital. So Vader takes out his, uh, his anger on this on the Imperial Guards, the ones who don't offer themselves to be killed for their failure, he kills. The ones who do offer themselves, he allows to live. And Palpatine claims that there's something clouding their vision. That's why they didn't see this plot coming. Bull, bull, he's lying. Um... And Vader is sent out to try to go figure out where these assassins came from. Uh, he hints that there's more to it, saying, Be careful, Lord Vader. You are dealing with powers you don't understand. I await your return with great interest. Oh yeah! Yeah, see, we've all seen Phantom Menace too, Tim! And we see Vader briefly at the end, uh, far away from Coruscant. He has tracked down the person who seems to have shown up, uh, at the palace landing bay, uh, the cargo zone, without picking up or delivering any type of cargo, figures this must be the person who brought the bomb, tracks him down to a cantina, where he catches the guy who reveals that he's got another one of these little swirly hind snake things on his chest, um, this little, like, tattoo kind of thing going on, and blows himself up rather than being captured, and ooh, ooh, that ninth assassin, the unnamed guy in the Vader-like armor, he's watching as it all goes down. Um, now,
1: was he watching or was this the first time he was supposed to be where Vader's going to be? And then it, it backfired because that that was the, that was the plot I was watching for. And all the way through it's like yeah, you were there. And every time you blew your opportunity and then you were chasing mm-hmm. him, which you said you weren't going to be doing, you jack. Oh, Sith Lord,
0: pretty much. Uh, we find out from from Palpatine exactly what this order is. And there's not a lot of explanation. He basically says that it's. Uh, That the mark of the headless snake is a symbol of an ancient cult that's been dead for eons, supposedly, said to possess a powerful dark magic. They had a temple on a small moon. Oh, that's the moon that the Venator was over when it got sliced in half by the beam from down below. uh, Abandoned for thousands of years due to abnormalities, he says. And Vader is essentially taking off for that moon to figure out what's going on. So at this point... I'm not really into the crazy, weird, deformed, suicide bomber hippies yet, and I'm not quite sure what to think of that assassin who seems to just be be on the sidelines at this point, but the idea of a terrorist plot against the Empire early on by someone other than the Rebel Alliance, that intrigues me. So I'm not quite sure where it's going by issue two, but I'm still cautiously optimistic with issue two that while this may not be quite as good as Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison, maybe it can be on par with Darth Vader and the Lost Command of this uh, recent Darth Vader string of series. By issue two, I'm wary, but optimistic at least.
1: See, and I like the Ghost Prison. For me, it was the Lost Command that I didn't care as much for. But for me, when the part that I was most intrigued with was, okay— vader comes in and he's the one that senses what's going on granted we later find out at the end that all of this is a twist and that most of it is all being done by palpatine but when you first get to this moment you're like vader why are you the one noticing and not the guy sitting on the bomb like why isn't Palpatine's threat radar going off and why isn't your Scooby radar going off about that like wait a minute he's more powerful than me why is he not I mean Vader doesn't even question it at all and of course Palpatine you know when, well okay that's not quite true Vader does why why do we not sense a plot how could anyone get this close and you know Palpatine then he starts playing his stuff I can't be sure someone or something is clouding our vision which that got me intrigued what could possibly be clouding you know, Palpatine's vision? But by the end of the plot, we realize that that intriguement is all just smoke and mirrors to get you to follow along the plot. There's really no gold there. It's actually kind of a disappointing answer because uh, he continues. You know, Vader goes Jedi and Palpatine says, no, something darker, something powerful. And and I was all excited about this dark and powerful order on the moon that we're, you know, I mean, whoa, you know, they, they had a beam that sliced a Star Destroyer in half or a cruiser. And I'm just, that was very cool. I'm, I was, I'm really wanting some payoff here. And I was very disappointed because as we get into the third issue and going in from there on out, things just kind of go, oh my God.
0: That brings us to issue number three, or as I like to call it, Diet Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin number three, because, uh. Uh there's just uh quite a bit less plot in this one. There's not a lot of there there. Uh
1: all the <laughs> Start art Vader with Nutru <laughs> Yeah.
0: All the art not as much plot. Um Vader and a couple of royal guards who came with him on the shuttle apparently to pilot it for him because, you know, <laughs> Vader a pilot? Oh, wait. Uh they find themselves at that moon. Vader leaps out Because he's he's got an environmental suit basically in his regular suit. Leaps out the shuttle and basically uh, goes, what, Star Trek into darkness style. Um, (laughs) This this is
1: your moment. This this is 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 your your major action right here.
0: He goes across uh, the space in between that and the remains of the Venator that was blown up, or at least part of the Venator that was destroyed, um, and finds himself uh, aboard the ship learning, you know, just how... It got destroyed in a single hit. We will find later that apparently either this thing crashes without us noticing it out of orbit, or there was another time that this happened to another Venator, and they didn't take the warning of that. Um, suffice to say, they they come down, and Vader now knows that there was a beam that came from the moon, and he wants to find the source of it um, because of the the uh, the, the logs. From the Venator and all. And the logs also had mentioned the suicide bomber uh, escape pod guy. So he's putting those two together that that must – this planet, this moon must be the source of both of them. So hey, Did he, you
1: notice the Yoda monkey up in the tree in that scene?
0: A Yoda monkey? <laughs>
1: yeah, there's a Yoda monkey up in the tree. I'm like, whoa, that looks like Yoda with fur. <laughs> a Yoda monkey. Yeah, the, when there's the footprint. Uh, oh, the there it is. Smashed. Yeah, okay,
0: yeah. I was <laughs> – just I just there. like, wait, that looks like Yoda! Oh, we found Yoda's homeworld! <laughs> oh, God. No, but basically, uh, he and the two guards debark from the shuttle, because apparently, you know, after Vader zips himself over to the Venator, he then zips himself back over to the shuttle. Uh, this is where transporters come in handy in Star Trek. Um, they wind up being attacked by this huge, monstrous, beastly thing um, that leaves... You know, Godzilla-sized footprints and, and it
1: leaves a question for me too as we get to him attacking it. I want to ask you something.
0: I he he kills one of them after it kills one of the two guards. And it's interesting to me because he pulls a general grievous. Is that what you're is yes, that? Yes, yeah. that's exactly what I was gonna ask. I was like, is that the wrist? Like, what what is he doing? Yeah, he's he's somehow <laughs> they they draw it as if he's holding a bolo, as if he's holding like a string with yeah. a rock at the end, and he's spinning it, getting ready to throw it David and Goliath style. But that's not what he's spinning. He's spinning the lightsaber, and it's making, like, this this spinning fan blade type or saw blade thing of General lightsaber. General Grievous, yes. General Grievous, but see, General Grievous can do that because his hands can rotate 360 degrees. Now, granted, this is uh, Vader's right hand. This is the one that gets cut off in Return of the Jedi, and we see that it's not all flesh. So... I'm wondering the same thing. Does he have it so that at the wrist he can just spin it 360 degrees? I don't know that we've yeah. even seen that before with Vader, but that's the only way that the action taking place on this page makes any sense at all. That's what I was. I, I was like, okay, I went another step further
1: because that was the obvious one. The other one was, okay, is he using the force to get to just flip around his wrist and he's just holding his hand out there and he's just rapidly flipping around with the force. <laughs> And I like the fact, well, if you look at it,
0: that's left to interpretation. You're like, okay, wait, what? Well, the way they, the way it's drawn, because they want to make it look like it's like just a spinning torrent of energy and stuff. And it's all chaotic. They draw it. So you don't actually see his fingers around it. You basically see up to about. Where his fingers start on his hand, like the end of his palm, and there's just like bits and pieces shown of where his fingers would be as it's supposed to be spinning as a blur of motion. And it kind of makes you wonder if that's just the pieces of his fingers because he's slashing the living crap out of himself trying to spin it with his bare hand. Uh, not Not one of the most – I mean it's a cool-looking image, but as soon as you start thinking about the logic of it, it makes no sense. It starts to fall apart. Of course, they're still being followed by the mysterious ninth assassin that at some point we hope to learn more about. Um, eventually, they find the remains of, of it looks like another at least two Venator Star Destroyers, because there's one where the back section is standing straight up and has stuff growing out of it, so it's been there a while, and there's another one just past it that slammed into the ground, at least showing the back of it that has stuff growing on it, too. So there's at least these two plus the one in orbit, presumably. And somehow the Empire hasn't ever put this world off limits or tried to go in and bombard the living crap out of it or something. Um, as Vader makes his way towards a temple he sees that has a glowing energy coming from it, presumably the weapon that he's searching for, uh, the assassin winds up killing the other guard that Vader just kind of leaves behind. And Vader makes his way inside the temple, which has the hind snake, weird, question mark-looking, green, uh, hippie swirl on it. And the assassin says, Go. Have your adventure. I'll be here when you come out. And Vader goes inside and winds up finding a bunch of people who I think at the end we're supposed to believe are bowing to him as they're coming towards him. But not all of them are on their knees. It's very hard to kind of tell what is meant to be happening until you get to the first panel of the next issue. But... That, uh, certainly those lines from the ninth assassin there, it kind of makes me think that, like you were saying, he's just following Vader. It's not that he knows where Vader's going to be. He's just kind of following Vader here. And maybe if, if he was the one who was sent, if, if, if the employer somehow was through Palpatine, which doesn't seem to make sense given who it was that actually hired them back in issue number one, unless Palpatine is also uh, having contacted this guy as well. Yeah. Uh, it seems like, this is disconnected, like he's just like, Oh, I was going to kill you as part of my plot, but since you're going into the temple for that other unrelated plot, I'll just wait outside, thanks.
1: And the end scene though, it's cool because when they all come around Vader, they're all got their weapons held, and he's got like the samurai pose where his left elbow is kinda up and his right hand's pointed over that shoulder, and he's got the blade pointed over the elbow, like it almost looks like it's resting on his armor of the arm. And you know, and then he realizes they start to bow, when he he stands up. It, it, that's a cool scene. There's a lot of cool scenes here. Um, you know, with those ships being crashed, it kind of led you to believe that maybe the uh, venerator ship that was sitting up there originally was was wait, waiting for uh, survivors, or was there looking for survivors. Maybe that was the mission. But again, there's there's nothing there, but us guessing. There's no narrative going, you know, uh, the USS or, or the ISS something burst that's over this planet because of uh, reports of this, that, or the other thing. No narrative to give you any direction. You are literally just cast about in the dark looking for stars in the sky to try to navigate your ship. Yeah, it's Star Wars. Yeah, it's got Darth Vader. Yeah, there's some cool fights. I did like when he uh, light uh, tosses his, his lightsaber into the uh, lizard with the, the hair. And then he did the old wrist twist and the blade cut its head off. But, you know, I mean, there's no delivery on the answers and it it just starts to spiral into weird territory. This one, again, I'm still excited. I'm still like, okay, what's going on? I'm not getting my my answers. And it is getting a little cheesy in the go have your adventure because I'm like, really, dude, you've missed like four opportunities here. You could have taken out Vader, but. Whatever, you're the ninth assassin, you know, so obviously you know what you're doing because I mean, that's just it. We're supposed to assume that these assassins know what they're doing just because they had a clandestine entrance to their little secret hideout and all the people there had had to die so the guy could get even close enough to ask. I mean, again, there's no narrative saying what this band is or if they're an ancient order of awesome force mystics or whatever the heck they are. There's nothing. We're grappling at the dark here. I have no clue what is going on in all the aspects of this story? I would like to know.
0: (laughs) I think my thing with the issue is, it just, it's, I said, it's it's diet comic storytelling. Uh, There is not nearly enough dialogue, not nearly enough, if there's going to be narration, fine, make it narration, but it seems like, It was basically Seidel sitting back and saying, well, gee, I've done this with this issue and this with this other issue, so how about in this issue, I'm going to have a lot of panels where it's just designed to be action and nothing else. And that can be done sometimes. I mean, you give me like Order 66, you don't need to have dialogue to show the craziness of Order 66 and make us, you know, kind of have our heartstrings tugged upon for certain Jedi characters that we know and love and whatnot. But he uses it to show us... Vader and guards fighting big creatures we've never seen before. I don't care. I I don't give a crap. I know nothing's going to happen to Vader. I know that the guardsmen are the ultimate red shirts, or should I say, red cloaks for this story. And it, it does nothing for me. You know, of all the different, you know, there's all the different types of conflicts, and you can have, you know, man versus self, man versus man. Well, if if this is supposed to be man versus nature as a gripping form of storytelling, as Vader makes his way to that temple, it's not there. I mean, oh goody, Vader is facing off with a huge beast. Don't care. Next, it just it it did absolutely nothing to grab me. I was hoping yeah, the, the next issue
1: of is it and and right. no delivery.
0: I was hoping the next issue finally would, and that brings us into the (laughs) world of the cult. I I find it interesting that you said it was a spiraling, uh, because that's apparently what these guys have all drawn on themselves. Uh, We find Vader being greeted by Acne Boy, we'll call him, because again, none of the people in this story actually get names. Um, You have this entire group of people, this cult of people, uh, who appear to be degrading and having their flesh sort of like rotted away by presumably the radiation of this weapon that they're using. But that's me drawing an assumption because they sure never bothered to explain it. Um, yeah, all
1: we know is what Palpatine said about the place was abandoned right. due to abnormalities. I mean, I can only assume that the planet itself is a very tainted place in the dark side.
0: Sure looks abandoned to me. There's nobody that... Oh, wait. Um, anyway, the, he he pulls sort of a Bela Lugosi we've been expecting you kind of thing. Um... And Vader learns, it's basically, this is the issue for exposition. If there was no attempt to explain much in previous issues, this one explains everything in one nice compact package, literally while Vader is being given a grand tour of the temple. Um, a little bit heavy handed on pushing the exposition here. We learned that the weapon, It's called The Basis. It gives them their light and their warmth, and apparently a lot of radiation, it would seem, uh, nourishing their crops and whatnot, protecting their way of life, he says. And as he... I'm going to kind of hit this in the order that they reveal it so it makes sense the way that they reveal it here. Um, He tells Vader of these drawings and then shows him these drawings that were made thousands of years before this cult, the Snake cult, or whatever you want to call it, because a cult doesn't get its own name. All we get is that one mention of snake referring to the weird snake symbol on them. Um, basically, their ancestors find this temple. The temple already has these drawings in it from thousands of years ago, but from the drawings, they learn how to use the so-called basis, that weapon, uh, to harness its power from the moon's core, and uh, they find that there's this this segment of snakes. Snakes, in this case, referring to presumably the Sith, and Vader himself shows up in these drawings. In and... In, Somewhat clear designs. You know, you can see the uh, the some of the chest plates on him. You can see the the grill of his faceplate and reddish eyes. And it says, "I here you are defeating the two snakes, then cutting the head off a third. The first two snakes die. The third lives on forever and ever." And it's this this concept basically that that's supposed to, I guess, tie into the idea of Vader destroying the Sith and ruling the galaxy himself. Well, see, um, I took that.
1: Along lines you're going, but in a different route, that the snakes represented force-using uh, traditions, the Sith and the Jedi, and the headless one was the Jedi. That you know he wiped out the Jedi, but through Luke, the the snake kept going.
0: Yeah, it's it's very much a what's the 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 phrase I'm looking for? A Troy Denning-style prophecy in that <laughs> we don't get a lot of answers, we get a whole lot of vagueness, and that's about it. Um, Vader is looking at this, he's like, okay, yeah, whatever, show me how the weapon works, because that's what I actually care about. Um, he sees how this beam comes up from the, the core of the moon, and up through several levels of this building, until finally going out the roof. And before he can be shown uh, how this works, he is taken through two other processes before he's able to actually get to the core of it. One is to take it to basically the elders. Um, the guys who are leading this group, they say uh, that he is a new savior, okay? Uh, one who can slay the Jedi Snake, one who can destroy the Empire Snake, one who can bring chaos to the galaxy at last. Because that's what they want. These creepy, mutated, radiation-loving guys who don't ever actually get out into the galaxy, apparently, except to blow stuff up, um, they uh, want chaos to reign. They are essentially... Um, the unicron style cult of Star Wars they they're, they're into the chaos bringer they want uh, anarchy essentially and Vader to his credit uh, as soon as he talk they talk about destroying the Empire Vader's like you know you dare speak of rebellion in front of me admit your role in the attempted assassination of the emperor claim your reward of a merciful quick death but they look at this as, Essentially, no, this isn't rebellion, this is uh, the rule by savage might, and if you kill us, you just demonstrate your power, and the others will follow you all the more. And bears like, this is madness, this is freaking nuts. Um, forces them to show him how the weapon works. And in doing so, he has to go through a ritual, one of the few really interesting parts of the tale, where... It's kind of weird. Vader looks into a glowing pool, think Harry Potter-ish. I think it's called a pensive. Oh, I was
1: thinking Night Sisters. <laughs> yeah, Night
0: Sisters. He's looking into a glowing green pool, it's and the some- green ichor. And somehow, out of the glowing green pool, comes these green vines that wrap around him and go under his helmet, starting to choke him. And he has this vision of essentially himself, um, in either white armor or light on his armor so much that it looks white, where his helmet is off and he's looking up at himself in the regular black armor fighting a Ewan McGregor uh, Revenge of the Sith, perhaps after that era Obi-Wan, in which he kills Obi-Wan, as he will eventually do in A New Hope, um, and then being attacked by Force Lightning from Palpatine, then turning it on Palpatine and killing Palpatine, somewhat like what we'll see in Return of the Jedi, and he's just shocked by it. And by taking down the last of the Jedi and the last of the Sith, presumably this means he's going to be the Chaos Bringer that rules the universe or whatever, and we see a full page panel, the one that makes me go, da, 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 where we've got <laughs> Vader. I can see it totally, dude. Yeah. Vader is there, and instead of having, like, the little dials and stuff on his chest plate, now it is that weird, swirly green symbol all lit up, and it's him basically, like, out in space with, like, the galaxy, with all these planets and stuff behind him. Um, and he's told that the cult is offering him freedom, that chaos is freedom. No masters, no codes, no empires, just freedom to use his powers for himself for his own glory. They finally take him to see where this comes from and they're like, you know, there's no machinery, no computers, the beam, basically the beacon sphere above is a focusing device. The elders aim the beam by moving the sphere with their minds. So they're using the force, moving this globe as energy comes out from the the core of the moon and then as it hits the orbit it's refocused and is able to shoot out as a blast at their enemies. Vader apparently somehow Senses that it's not just that that somewhere deep down within the energy as it's coming up from the core There is an important crystal one found only on that moon and he just yanks it out with the force. He's like gee this seems important and They they, they want the crystal back They want him to basically do what he's supposed to do by their prophecies uh, One of the guys warns him that uh, it's a crystal found only on this moon. It can amplify the beams power by a factor of trillions says, you know, my coming here fulfills one part of the prophecy. What was the rest of the prophecy? And the rest of the prophecy is that he'll come to them when the three stars align, which it has, and that he'll bring glorious chaos to all who seek it. Well, the ones who are seeking chaos are the ones actually in that temple, and by taking that focusing crystal, now there's nothing to control the basis, the energy, and it starts ripping the place apart. He's like, prophecy oh, no, no. fulfilled!
1: He, he shoves it. He, If you look in that scene, he grabs the sphere and rips all the people down and that's what causes the sphere to fall. Cause he throws all the people that are directing it down. Cause he, you can see both his arms. He's doing a shove to the side. Cause well, that's true. That's interesting at first, too. Cause it, again, there was, there was, it's all left to the image. And, and if you're not a hundred percent like stopping and looking at all the little details,
0: those little things skip us. Cause yeah, th- there's nothing to tell you what exactly is going on. You're like, and, and if I may, as someone who has written a Star Wars comic before, when you're writing something like this, You are basically, you have, as you're scripting it out, your script pages um, are divided up by which page of the comic it should be. Okay, page one, page two, page three, whatever. And each script then is broken down by which panel should do what. And if it's dialogue, you're saying specifically what the dialogue is. But generally, you just have a description of what in general is supposed to be happening in that scene, And you can be very specific, and the artist will follow those specific instructions, but a lot of the time it's somewhat vague to allow the artist to have some freedom. Like, maybe the artist could do something cool where you've got one panel that blurs into another, so you don't want to necessarily say, in this panel this happens, in this panel this happens, and describe it too in-depth, because you're taking away some of the artist's freedom. I'm wondering how the script to this one looked. Because so much of it is left up to the artist to have to convey the message. I'm wondering how much of this was Seidel and how much of this was Thompson. Because maybe Seidel said Vader then swings and grabs the little focusing thing and just slams it to the side. Or maybe it's him saying, and the power gets unleashed and, and Thompson saying, what? Why? And added in Vader's, you know, arm swing to that. Cause it just, it, it's not, clear at that moment. Suffice to say, he does, he he causes it to start destroying itself, start self-destructing, and by the end of the issue, it's blowing up, and he is simply walking out, and we see our brief glimpse of the ninth assassin far off from the temple looking shocked and taken aback and sort of reeling back from the explosion. Um, I had a bad feeling as of reading this issue. I had a bad feeling that A, all of the stuff dealing with this cult is for naught, because now the entire cult storyline is over, and all yep. it basically was was find them and get some exposition. Uh, B, that we are now going to see all the Ninth Assassin stuff crammed into one issue, and will they be able to pull it off with enough uh, explanation that it will feel satisfactory with just one issue to go? Apparently they won't. Um, and C, I was sitting back here thinking, oh my god, it's buyer's market again. <laughs> really? Because as soon as Vader grabbed that crystal, and they said that it could focus the power up to a trillion times, I'm thinking, oh god, no, please don't tell me. They're about to make this a previously unheard of part of the Death Star super laser, and all of a sudden, we've got another part to that process, and this whole freaking story is an, oh, by the way... How did the Empire get its hands on the crystal that was previously uncared about, that's used for part of the Death Star, very much like buyer's Market, had Lando go out to tell the story of how it was they got one of the ad-ass to stick under Klon, uh or, or the Nomad City on the Clon in Heir to the Empire. I was cringing, hoping there would be something other than that to the way this story turned out, because that's what they're telegraphing with issue number four. And unfortunately, they go paint by the numbers with this. And yeah. we get exactly what I was worried about. And And this is at the same time that we know that upcoming... As of the time that we're recording this, but what is, 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 already out because there's, you know, previews out for people. Um, we know that we're gonna have yet another wrinkle to, hey, look, here's somebody else who helped design part of the Death Star coming up in Star Wars Volume 2's second arc. Um, it's another of these, gee, I'm a first time Star Wars writer. I wanna do something that ties into something else. Uh, gee, I'm gonna do something that ties into the Death Star. Everybody knows the Death Star. That'll be awesome! And you're just granted there
1: are a lot of nuts and bolts to the Death Star, but really? Do we all have to focus on the same part?
0: It is so overdone. How many times do we need to have something new added of it? Oh, by the way, this also was part of the process of creating the Death Star. It is a gimmick that is old. Please give us something new here. I mean, at least make it something. Make it something that that is turned into um a new lightsaber or something for Palpatine but given that this is right after Revenge of the Sith this brings up a question to me Which is if they didn't have this crystal before if they didn't know this crystal existed before Although maybe Palpatine did sending him to this cult and such um, But if they didn't know about this Why are they building the Death Star the way they're building it in the first place? Because if the whole idea is that it's gonna destroy planets But you need this that'll increase the power of the beam a trillion times or so to make it work If they didn't know about this, why the hell are you building the Death Star in the first place? What's it supposed to do, go pew pew and scare people? (laughs) If this is a necessary component, did you know about it? Was it always a necessary part of the plan to come and get this? And why have we not heard about this before? And does this mean that when you build the Death Star 2, you send somebody back for another of these crystals on the planet? Or do you send someone into the debris (laughs) of the first Death Star to get that crystal in the remains of the first Death Star because you'll need it for the second one? What are you doing, (laughs) Seidel?
1: Well, and then there's the other aspect of it. Uh, Yet again, another plot from Palpatine to test Vader. Granted, they're being slick because they're going to go ahead and slide it in in that first few months when the Empire started. So now those that are reading this in continuity wise, going by the uh, zero date all the way through, this will be the first one they get to. And when they get to the other ones that came first, they're going to be like, really, we're going to rehash another Vader test plot? No, they slid it in earlier, but because you were reading them in order, you thought this one happened first, and it didn't feel like it was the 38th time. Way to to retcon that, I guess. I don't know how that works, but yeah, I mean, when when the temple gets destroyed and everything blows up, I, I was disappointed. I wanted some answers there. So that whole chapter was closed. There was no satisfaction there. Kind of kind of it's time to look at the writing on the wall here. I mean, Dark Horse, their idea of a satisfactory conclusion does not line up with a satisfactory conclusion at all. Uh, apparently a train wreck is what they think a satisfactory conclusion is of late.
0: Well, I wonder, my, my question is Thompson, the, the, the artist for the first four issues, I'm wondering if he thought that was the satisfactory conclusion because he's not back for the last issue. Did you notice that? We have a new artist for the last issue of this, Ivan Fernandez. It's like they're like, okay, the story I was trying to tell with with Seidel, the whole thing with the cult, that's over. That was issues two, three, and four. I don't know what you're doing with the rest of this Ninth Assassin thing from going back to issue number one, but you guys are on your own.
1: That explains the art continuity flop that I was going to mention because when the ninth assassin is following all the creatures that Vader killed in the earlier one, none of them are dead in the right way. I'm like,
0: wait, what? I thought he lost his head. What? And yeah, it looks somewhat different. It's a little odd. So, so that brings us into the fifth issue here. Okay. Uh, Vader has destroyed that temple and it must be also in the process of destroying the moon itself because as Vader is walking away from the temple exploding behind him. And we just saw that the the ninth assassin is not super far away, but he's a ways back from the temple watching it all explode. Somehow the explosion catches the ninth assassin. I don't see how that's logically possible, but okay, fine. Um, The ninth assassin winds up uh, watching over Vader as Vader just parts animals to go towards his shuttle. Um, We see the ninth assassin, uh, we'll just call him the assassin, the low-rent Vader. Um, swinging down on a rope trying to get... Did you
1: notice, though, from issue four's ending to issue five's ending that that was the moment the ninth assassin messed up? At the end of the fourth one, he was where Vader was going to be, and from here on out, he's chasing him
0: again! Again, (laughs) yeah, he's chasing him all freaking over again. Um, And Vader knows that he's being followed, and he's like, you know, careful, they like to stomp. And we see the assassin have to fight the creature briefly, uh, noting, you know, he's seen me. I'm aborting. Wow. Awesome assassin you are. As <laughs> yeah. soon as you're Abort. noticed, you're like, Abort. screw it, I'm done.
1: Game over, it's like, man. Game it's over. Like, it's like when you go play tag with a bunch of nine-year-olds and they realize that one of them hit you between the legs and Dad's mad. They're like, ah, oh, run, run. <laughs> I
0: quit. I'm not playing anymore. Um, when, when
1: Vader says watch the feet they like to stomp, it almost felt like a couple times throughout this, like they were really trying to, to make you remember that This guy in this black suit that we've all come to known as a villain for all this time, he's also Anakin Skywalker. So we got to give him some moments where he's jumping through a half-burnout ship looking for survivors. And then we got to slide in some humor here. Like, if that's what they were doing, I got that. I I felt Anakin kind of come through at times. It did feel a little off because it was like, okay, why is Anakin showing up in Vader? But... Yeah, I, I get that you got to make that transition, so I get what they were doing there. But yeah, it, yeah. that
0: came across. But the one liners, you know, it's it's. I'm, I was waiting for them to. That, that's going to be the change actually in the next super duper special edition of the films. You'll have a uh, uh, Luke and in, in Jedi, you know. So you have accepted the truth. I have accepted the truth that you were once Peter Parker, my father. Because he's one linering <laughs> throughout anything that he's dealing with with this assassin. Um The uh, Vader makes it to a shuttle or a ship. Um, it's not even Vader's, because that's gone. Uh, he's made his way to the ninth assassin's own ship, and the ninth assassin is running like hell to get out of there, and up runs into Vader, because somehow Vader made it there before him. Um, and Vader's now going to kill him, because he's finished his business on the moon. Now it's going to be a pleasure. Uh, Vader and the assassin fight. Um, it's interesting, because the assassin's sword is able to deflect uh, the lightsaber blade, so now we may be talking about cortosis here. Yeah,
1: I was expecting Vader to say that. You know, oh, nice—a cortosis blade or something. But again, the lack of narration where I just have to figure it out. I don't like figuring things out on my own unless it's spelled out and painted for
0: me. Yeah, and then okay, so going on with this fight sequence, right? Um, uh, they they disengage because Vader just kicks the ninth assassin, and he goes flying. And Vader says, the Empire could put a cutthroat like you to good use. And I'm immediately thinking, oh great, it's like the dude in Dark Times. So this is a recruitment story. Wonderful. We haven't seen that before. Only for the Assassin to say, sorry, I already have a job. And I intend to finish it right now. At which point I'm thinking, no, you intend to finish it? You were just aborting. You were just running away. You're not intending to finish it. You're like, oh crap, I can't leave unless I kill this guy, so I might as well finish the job. That's like somebody who isn't done with stuff at work, and the time comes for him to go home, but there's a tornado outside, so he can't leave, and he's like, screw it, I guess I'll finish my work, because I can't go anywhere. (laughs) Yes. So Vader's giving employment advice now. Uh, I guess he's sort of like monster.com or something. He says, uh, when you apply for the next (laughs) job, don't mention that tree incident back there. Could be embarrassing. Um, the ninth assassin tries to flip away. Vader grabs him, slams him to the ground. He's like, you see? That was good. He's mocking him. He's being a smart aleck. It's um, totally
1: Anakin and Ventress on Yavin 4. I don't very, know. That's yeah.
0: where I was. I'm like, okay, he's channeling some Clone Wars here. Exactly. and he, And he keeps basically trying to get the guy to work for him. And at that point... He's slammed into the ground, his mask is already cracking, and I'm thinking, cool, we might actually get to see the face behind this guy and find out maybe he's some character we've seen before, and that's why he took the job, and, and that's what's supposed to make us care about this assassin. Instead, uh, Vader continues kicking his butt until the point where he is on the ground crawling toward his blade, his armor is cracked, his mask is cracked, um, and Vader's mocking the people who, who, of course, hire him, saying... Uh, On the contrary, instead of working for himself the way the assassin claims, quote, you work for the weak, for those with more coin than backbone. You are a puppet seeking revenge for those too unfit to deserve it. And the the assassin, who's supposed to be the last one to go because he always does well, uh, another will be sent in my place. Yeah, we're going to get Darth Vader in the 10th assassin. Uh, You say puppet, I say last resort. A last resort for... and never has a chance to finish it because because Vader stomps on his head Says what? Justice? Justice? I am justice. Way to go, Judge Dredd. I want to hear, I am (laughs) the law! in the law! uh, That was
1: a cool moment there, because when he puts his foot on the helmet and he starts to press down, you notice that the soul is by the lens of the assassin's eye. And then the next panel, I was like, what is that? It's it's from inside Mm -hmm. the helmet, and, and you're seeing Vader's face now, from the helmet as it's cracking and it's sparking. I thought that was kind of interesting. Once I figured out that's what was going on. Right. At first I thought it was like some
0: reflection. I'm like, yeah. is he seeing that off the shuttle or what? Which, which, but then again, it goes back to the logic of the artwork. Okay. He's going to stab him and kill him. Now, generally whenever I think of someone holding someone down and stabbing downward, it's either in the chest or in the head. Okay. This guy was on his back. So if he's going to stab down, it's either now into the back of his torso into his heart or whatever or into his head and Vader is holding the blade and he's going to stab it downward. I can only hope he was stabbing downward into his back though we don't see it because the other option would be Vader stabbing through his own foot into the assassin's head because you know he's holding the head down with this boot. Um, oh, he's
1: coming around into the nose of the poor guy. <laughs> it's going
0: to be it's going to be a, another one of those ones like the tale story uh, resurrection where Vader's like, you know, what can you hate what can you hate enough to kill me myself and stabs through his own chest. Maybe here he's stabbing <laughs> through his own foot or something. Uh, apparently yeah. Vader likes to do that. But he is. Well,
1: and the next panel is is just as confusing because the first time I read it, it looks like Vader's walking away from the shuttle. Then it looks like the ground cracks open, lava, and the shuttle falls in. And then it looks like you're watching it melt. It's got the of the lava going all over the ship, and the next thing you know, it's flying off. You're like, wait,
0: what And Vader's in
1: it. Yeah, yeah. Then you turn the page, and there's your answer. Oh, oh, he wasn't walking away. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's like like, we see Vader standing there by where the ship is parked, and we get no detail in Vader at all. It's just a silhouette, so it could go either way as far as the direction that he's going. Um, We see the ground start to give way under the shuttle and don't see Vader at all in that shot, we see the ship falling essentially into lava and don't see Vader in that shot either. And then we see it zip and fly away. This shuttle that, by the way, looks somewhat like a cross between uh the fan blade used by uh, Ventress slash maybe a B-Wing in the sense that it looks like it can almost like turn versus the cockpit. Um Kind of looks a little bit like a Naboo-type skiff. Yeah, uh, It looks like a different ship design than we've seen before. Well, um Zips away the – I, I
1: want to talk about the ship though because yeah. – the cockpit when you see Vader sitting in it it does not match the way the ship flies like the the cockpit when you see him sitting in it is he he must be flying backwards because the only way that window pattern can work is if he's looking out the rear of the ship i i don't understand that concept at all that makes zero sense to me where is he sitting in the windows on that same panel it just does not line up or, or am i just
0: like, oh no, you're you're right. If you look, it's he's talking about the two-page spread where the moon explodes and the ship is flying away, and from the direction that we're looking at the ship flying away, the the cockpit is basically a sphere, and the front of that sphere is connected into the ship with uh, there's windows in it, but none of the windows face directly forward. Um, yeah, the only way for Vader then to make to have his image make sense in the next panel, which is Vader looking out of this window, and it's like a there's a window in front of him, a window to his right, a window to his left, a window above the one in the middle and above both the ones on the side. Uh, not only does that not make sense facing the direction that the ship is going, which is the direction that these hyper this uh, uh, streaking star hyperspace thing presumably should be uh, uh, oriented. <laughs> <streaking> at you <laughs> not only that, look at the way that the, that the sphere is designed overall, even if he was facing backward, that window design doesn't match the design of the windows on the outside of the ship.
1: Mm-mm, no. Not even close. And so- then they get back to the planet and the hatch is still open. Like, okay, you got this really cool, secretive assassin society that we've never seen before that you had to t- take a little tree branch and, and twist it to get this thing to rise up out of the ground. Wouldn't you reset the damn door? Like, it, it, it's left it, just yeah. wide open. And, <laughs> and oh, you is, found and, us. they are just going to leave it out like Disneyland. Everyone can come back.
0: And it's a good thing that he uses the assassin's ship because apparently he's able to trace back the location of where he came from because we get no name for the planet on which the ninth yeah. assassin came from, Return just like we don't get
1: autopilot. name for the
0: Right? He, like, winds, he finds his way back. He meets the intermediary, the big dragon wing guy, who, given how huge his wings are, when we see him in this issue, I wonder how on earth he was able to sit in that chair. Um, but that's a whole other story. Maybe that's like a, uh, a, a mutant thing where he can, re- like, recoil the, uh, uh, the wings into his back or something like that. And so Vader kills the intermediary because, you know, you know, if you send an assassin to kill me, I'm going to kill the person who delivered the message. I'm going to kill the messenger and the one who delivered the message, uh, well, we which in this case aren't the same guy.
1: He killed the guy. I mean, because literally that's all true. you
0: get is him standing
1: up and then you get the guy charging him. And for some reason, his that's fangs it. are falling out of his face. I have no idea what that's true.
0: There's there's like a fang that's falling out of his mouth.
1: Yeah, I just this guy was somebody I, I was I was intrigued. Why, why was he different than all the rest of the assassin guys? They all looked really cool. You know, who was the ninth assassin? Was he also of their alien species? You know, none of this stuff gets talked about either. Same with the cult. These are just plots that they're the ones that got me hooked. They're the, the ones where the hook was so deep. I was like, Oh, I'm being reeled in here. You know, I was on that whole, Ooh, this is a good series, boy. But by the time we get to this point and it jumps so fast, I feel like they just dumped poodoo all over me, man. It's like, Really? This this is the reward I get for following you for all five issues? Where's my delivery?
0: Which brings us to basically the Denouement. The let's wrap up all the loose ends and tell you what the heck was going on for this entire series in a few pages. Um, Vader shows up at the Emperor's undisclosed location, which sure, to me, it looks like it probably is part of the Death Star, but it doesn't say. Um, Palpatine basically congratulates him on stopping the plot against him and destroying a planet in the process. Not really, he destroyed a moon, not a planet. But that's okay. It's Star Wars, Galaxy, Universe, are used interchangeably half the frickin' time. Um, and what happens is exactly what I had feared after issue number four, Grand Moff Tarkin will be most interested in your discovery. Perhaps he will find it useful for his special project as he's holding the crystal. No! this makes no sense as part of the Death Star construction project unless you add some more explanation to it. And isn't that already the problem? Too much freaking explanation about the Death Star, but not enough in this. Um, Vader, you know, it's like, as you wish, my master, I only serve you. And then we get narration from Palpatine, and may I say that on the... <laughs> There's, okay, Vader is leaving and he takes that same ship that he stole from the ninth assassin to go, uh, back to the planet from which the person who hired the assassin came from, that unnamed industrialist, to go kill him. Um, but as Vader is leaving, okay, uh, Palpatine is looking out the window and says, and you serve me better than you know, my apprentice. That does not look like Palpatine. In no, that not image, at all. It, it looks like a, I, it's hard, I, I'm trying to figure out who it Ross looks Perot. like to me. Yeah, he, it he, looks like Ross Perot. A grinning Ross Perot. It's like it's like they took somebody and turned him into a, a Joker. Just like an old man with a Joker looking laugh. He doesn't look sinister at all. He looks freaking goofy. Uh, he looks really really strange. Paint his face different colors, and it's Ronald freaking McDonald in a cloak.
1: Yeah, or it the from up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> there it goes. Oh, Sith eyes. Vader goes to the planet that the industrialist is from, hunts down the industrialist, and winds up uh, killing him. Okay, this is the guy that now cannot see, uh, he cannot hear, he's apparently eating dinner by himself uh, without being able to see or hear, Uh, nobody's there to help him or anything like that, and Vader just kills him, but the narration over it is what gives this whole series its presumed reason for existing, which is redundant with so many other stories. Uh, fogging your senses was too easy. Letting you believe I was in danger was too easy. Leading you to that wretched little moon was too easy. You passed my test, Lord Vader, but had you chosen a different path, rest assured I was ready. I now know that you are mine. Mine for as long as I will have you. Which sounds kind of like a relationship kind of thing. You know, I'm here as long as you have me, baby. Um, and And that's it. That's the end of this series that started with some degree of promise and ended up completely off the rails and being redundant, unnecessary, internally inconsistent at times, and just plain bad. Uh, Tim Seidel's first foray into comics with Star Wars didn't work. And may I say that speaking as someone whose own first foray into comics was a Star Wars comic, uh, my only foray into official comics was a Star Wars comic. It is a very rare thing for someone to be invited to write a Star Wars comic story by Dark Horse um, based on, because it needs to be based on previous works, and usually they look for someone who has previous works in comics. In his case, they looked at his previous works in prose and other forms, not in comics. And I'm not sure that the fact that he hadn't written for comics in and of itself was necessarily... That detrimental to the whole process. I mean, it is a an unusual way of having to write, and it's something that that takes a little bit to get your head around, and and maybe for him as well. I know it certainly was for me. Um, And for the most part, it's a it's a style you can work with. I mean, it's 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 unusual, but it's not you know too far removed from prose writing. You're still describing the scenes for the artists and whatnot. So I'm not sure that that was what the issue was. Uh, the, The level of writing or the style of writing that he needed to do to transfer from prose writing and article writing, editorial writing, to this. But, I don't know, there's something about this that screams that somebody should have said something along the way that it wasn't going the way it was meant to go. I don't know who along the process should have said something, but it didn't work out the way that it should have, and instead what it winds up with is that Tim Seidel's first foray into Star Wars isn't that good, Which means that the immediate response from us as fans is going to be that he should not write for Star Wars again because the first foray wasn't good. We're not very forgiving in that sense. That's why, you know, Veronica Whitney Robinson, who did uh, Ruins of Dantooine, I don't think we should ever expect to see her writing for Star Wars again because people just didn't take well to Ruins of Dantooine. I think we're going to be able to say the same thing about Razor's Edge when it comes out, that Martha Wells shouldn't be writing Star Wars again. Um... It's just one of these things that if your first doesn't turn out to be, if not good, or if not knocking out of the park, at least a decent story, then you probably should not be coming back to the galaxy far, far away. And they they made a bet on this guy, and it just didn't work. Unless apparently you're from Roku Depot and Comic Bastards and all them, and, and you're reading something completely different.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously it appeals to other tastes. I, for me, I think the ball was dropped at the end when Palpatine did all the, uh, you know, the, the dropping of the bomb of what the real plot was. I mean, you know, leading you to that wretched little moon where I had the hind snake cult that I've been cultivating for 20 years and, you know, leading, you know, the assassin from the red blood assassins group and getting the baron. I mean, you know, he could have dropped all that in there, how he was behind all of it and threw it all there. Yeah, he did, but he didn't give us any answers at the same time. I would have loved to have known some of the names of these people. Palpatine could have given it to us right then and there. And when Baron Lappity Flap with the no ears and long beard hair, you know I mean? All of it could have been done in that last few pages and at least given us some measure of closure to the things that were given in this that were really cool that were just not delivered on. I mean, that, that lack of delivery, for me, that's the sting. I mean, when you... I don't know, you set something up that, that's got so much potential and then you let every one of those aspects drop. And then the big plot is a, a plot that we have seen before when you had all this really cool potential to work with. It's like a shame on you moment. But again, getting back to this, this is his first time. So you got to cut him some slack. I mean, I, like he says, Star Wars fans are a little unforgiving, but I don't know. I mean, there, there was potential here. I will give it that. If they'd have done something different with Palpatine talking at the end, gave some more detail on the aspects that I was really looking forward to, maybe I'd have been able to get on board with this whole, yeah, it was a great series. But they didn't do that, and it felt like another Dark Horse satisfying ending that just is not satisfying at all. You know, I'm really getting sick of that feeling like I'm a Star Wars fan, and I'm supposed to just love this because it's Star Wars, and if we don't love it, then they could take my EU from me. Uh, and I I kind of, you know, I worry that that might be a mentality that that we as fans are coming to, that we've got to accept everything Star Wars, because if we don't, they may not do it again. And it's like Star Wars as a brand is a little bit bigger than that, folks. I mean, there have been fans saying I'm not going to buy your books and your comics for decades and it hasn't slowed them down yet. <laughs> so go ahead and tell them what kind of junk it is. I mean, they're still going to put it out, but don't sit there and blow smoke at them saying, hey, this is awesome when it's not. But if you truly did like it, good for you. Because I didn't really enjoy it as much as I could have. Nathan absolutely hated it. But there were probably a lot of you out there that did enjoy it. And for that, you know, be glad that you actually could read it and said, hey, I liked it and I wasn't agreeing with the other two over there because they did not enjoy it as much. Um, You know, I, I am the lighter side of this one because I, there were a lot of aspects about it that I did enjoy. But the lack of delivery really puts a foul stench into my uh studio.
0: Yeah, it's just one that... It didn't work, and it, and maybe I'm, I, I'm going to get your, your thoughts on this. Um, maybe I'm too harsh in one way of looking at this, in that, to me, the strength of Star Wars a lot of times is its ability to take multiple plot threads and weave them together to create one story. Uh, Timothy Zahn was big on this back in the Bantam era, back before things started to slack under the Del Rey era for him, um, and that is the idea that you've got different characters on different plot threads, but they wind up all being part of the same bigger events as it goes along. And you eventually see how it all ties together. Um, Like, for instance, in the Star Wars films, you know, you can send um, Vader off in one direction. You can send Luke off to Dagobah. You can send uh Han and Leia and them off in one direction, have them meet Lando and everything. But eventually, it will all come back together on Cloud City for the climax and so forth. This one felt like it really did feel like it was two completely different stories that had only the most tenuous of connections together. If it wasn't for the fact that the Ninth Assassin happened to be following Vader on this particular mission, I don't see how there would have been any reason for these two plot threads. The guy hiring the Ninth Assassin to go after Vader, and Vader whooping his butt, and Vader going after the Snake cult people. I don't see how those two plots would have had any relevance to connect together. It felt like two different stories just mushed, which I think is why the first issue set up so much promise, but then didn't pay off because issues two, three, and four are effectively a different series in yeah. almost every respect. And then we get somewhat of a wrap up to that with issue number five, with the backdrop being what has just happened in two, three, and four, it, it doesn't feel like it is one coherent story. I'm, how was this pitched? How was this accepted? And was that pitch that was accepted at all, rem- uh, At all, uh, re- what's the word I'm looking for, um, did it match up to what we actually got? Because if it matched up to what we actually got, it feels like someone along the way should have said no. If it didn't match up to what we got, and it was just a matter of, oh, the pitch was good, this tur- didn't turn out quite so well, but, well, we're already in the process and we don't want to delay it, so let's just go with it, then that would explain a lot. But I well, don't know.
1: Palpatine feels like the pat answer, like, mm-hmm. well, what's one way to tie these two together? Well, Palpatine's a master schemer. Let's just make it all his idea. No one will question that.
0: It's the, it's the dark side version of simply saying, well, it must have been the will of the force.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The Sith Lord was behind it. <laughs> I mean, that yeah, that to me is definitely where the disconnect was. I mean, when you go from the Hind Snake to the assassins group and how they all got together and why the Baron was there, I mean... I get the reasons why the Baron was there, but I don't get how Palpatine had a hand in that. I mean, that's the aspect about it. It's like, yeah, for Palpatine to say it was all his plot, yeah, that works, but it doesn't explain how Palpatine made it work. And when it comes to Palpatine, the creepiest part of that character is knowing when when you finally get those details of how he was so evil— the depths and the levels of his scheming, and and that was just completely left out. We're just taking on a credit the fact that he's evil.
0: It's like, and again, I I know I don't usually talk about my writing stuff very much anymore on here because people wind up saying I talk too much about music. People, but it's write. relevant here. Um, when I write, I don't know if most writers do, I know that when I write in particular. There might be certain moments in a story that stick out of my head as as the key moments of the ones that are really awesome, and I'll put that together, and and, and I'll have some of those just kind of laid out that I know are going to show up in the story because I, I see that's where a plot will wind up going, but might not yet know what happens in between. Perfect example, the first image to me when I did Echoes, which isn't available anymore, was the idea essentially of a ghost charging forward at a, at a police officer who then drops onto his back and is firing bullets up in the air. With Greater Good, it was having... Uh, one telekinetic charging towards another guy on a motorcycle. Uh, the guy he's charging toward uses telekinesis to blast it up in the air. The guy who, uh, he and the bike are thrown into the air, grabs the bike, swings it around, and uses telekinesis to th- hurl it like a cannonball at the other guy who blocks it with a telekinetic shield, just barely, so it smacks off the building next to him. Um, that part of a particular escape sequence was something that was already in my head uh, when the story was already sort of being formulated um uh, about how the escape would work, how did he get in custody in the first place. A, a writer often has these cool moments that are in mind, and then it's about how does the plot weave into and out of those moments and can those moments really exist in this story that I want to tell or is it just me being kind of fanciful with my imagination? And the, the, what what measures the success of a story is how well everything ties together. It's not the awesome moments. It's how everything works And the awesome moments as part of that everything. And I think in this, they were like, we got this cool thing. We're going to see like, like Palpatine's chair get blasted out the window because it's going to explode, man. We're going to have like a suicide bomber. We're going to have like a Venator just be sliced in half by like a Death Star kind of thing, but it's natural from this moon man. And we want to have this moment where Vader's like, and all this stuff. It's going to be awesome. And they had those moments. But then when it came time to actually connect them with a viable plot line that lives up to those moments, they didn't do it. it. That is where the failing happened. Um, I think you're right in that this series has some moments that, that are worthwhile to see because they're cool moments. But if all you get is a cool moment, everything else is stupid. Everything else feels like it is just slapped together to give us those quick, Moments. It, 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 that's why I think it's it's it, in another way. You could also compare that to Buyer's Market. Granted, Buyer's Market didn't really have much in the way of cool moments anyway. But Buyer's Market has that one moment where we're supposed to find out. Oh, this is where they get one of the ad ads for Nomad City, man. And everything else is in service to that, but not strongly. It's all weak material, weak sauce, as some people would say leading into that moment that is supposed to be the one that stands out to us. You must have connecting threads that are better. I think that's why a lot of people have had issues with The Phantom Menace. It's got its really, really cool moments, but a lot of the connective tissue is significantly weaker than it is in the other Star Wars films. Um, Mm -hmm. Same type of thing, and and same thing that people would say, I I could say probably with uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith, that they haven't read the Stover novel in that the connective tissue is weaker than if you have read the book. Um... I don't know. It just seems like somewhere along the way the process just fell apart. It's it's there. The ideas that could make this great are there, but then you dump in a bunch of repetitive stuff, stuff that's not getting explained, illogical stuff, and a relatively weak backbone to it. And it doesn't matter how strong those moments are. The series in and of itself collapses.
1: Well, see, and I'm worried about the connectedness of the series itself. I mean, on the letters page of the first issue – Welcome, everyone, to the first issue of our third series starring Darth Vader in the months after Episode 3. We're so glad you're here. Don't worry if you haven't read the first two series, Darth Vader and the Lost Command and Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison. Each story stands on its own, except for all these stories stand around Vader, and this one was crap in a lot of ways and could that connectiveness of the association of the last Vader crap and the first Vader crap and there was that other one that was okay like I mean, are people going to just say you know I don't want Darth Vader anymore if this is the kind of tales we're going to keep getting well
0: and, and that's kind of my thing too it, it worries me a little bit but I will say that I thought Darth Vader and the Lost Command it wasn't great but it was okay I mean we weren't quite sure what we were going to be getting with this so it was just sort of a, well, let's see, it's probably going to be a throwaway story. I'm um, dealing with Vader. Can't expect too much out of it. It had some interesting moments, you know, him thinking about what life could have been like and all that kind of stuff. But it was all right. right. I'm um, Kind of surprising to see all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a, a son of Tarkin we had never heard of. But then Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison, I really liked. Um, I think because it was yeah, not... Yeah, I like told, that it, one. It wasn't told from the perspective of Vader. It was told from the perspective of the Imperial officer. Uh, I think his name's Loretta Tom. And it allowed it to have that human element and give us some great dramatic moments where Vader is being seen by someone as opposed to being the focal point of the storytelling itself. Um But I've, I've never really necessarily thought that these were designed to be one series, but I would imagine it being very easy to think of them as one series because of the similarity of their titles and the fact that they're saying, you know, this is our third series that blah, blah, blah. Uh, and yeah, stuff like this, Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, could make it very easy for people to simply give up on it in general unless again maybe we are thinking too hard maybe this is yet another of those stories designed Clearly. to appeal to those who know nothing about star wars for whom this is maybe their very first star wars comic the first thing they've read outside of the films and they don't know any better about star wars stories because i think if you were to go into into reading this without any previous knowledge of star wars eu at all you might actually be able to get a lot out of it because, you know, it's just a lot of action and it's Vader. But we've seen the storytelling potential of the saga. We've seen it bear out in great comics, in great novels. And this falls very far short of the mark of that. Um, I wonder if this is another thing that falls into that trap of we want to make it extremely accessible so we will tell these mm-hmm. throwaway stories that are designed for people who have Zero previous experience or almost zero previous experience with the EU. Um, it's one of those things, you know, if you've never, if you have never had the greatness that is Dr. Pepper, Mm -hmm. then you won't realize how bad the relatively new Pib extra really is. You know, (laughs) if, if, if all you've ever eaten is, uh, fast food stuff, then you have no idea what you're missing when it comes to say a gourmet restaurant you know if
1: every day is a sunny day what's a sunny day
0: exactly exactly uh, it just seems as though in a lot of ways well it reminds me i was teaching um uh one of the topics that we teach in first semester of world history is india and china ancient indian china it's basically the morian empire the gupta empire the Qin dynasty and the han dynasty of china and one of the things that comes up when talking about hinduism is how it reinforces this issue these days where you have a group called the untouchables at the bottom of society who are essentially constantly being held down by this idea that they deserve their place in society because they earned it through karma in their previous life so in this reincarnation they come back in this lower caste they just deserve what they get they deserve the prejudice they deserve the the low place in society they deserve the crap that is heaped upon them Um, and National Geographic had done an interesting tale with them uh, explaining their situation a few years back I think about 10 years ago actually now and in that article showed pictures of some of these people and one of the pictures that is used uh, when I'm talking about this is a picture of this guy who's covered in this black sludge and it's sewer stuff Uh, he basically is a human toilet brush he is sent in no gear whatsoever to clean out sewers basically with his bare hands and the guy is sitting there with this tar looking stuff on his body but he's smiling and the students invariably ask why is this guy smiling and the, the concept is if all you know is the smell of the crap then a good day is the day where it doesn't smell as bad. Uh, or a good is the day when it doesn't get up your nostrils. Um, That kind of is, it, it feels like sometimes that's what we're getting. It's like you were saying with, well, we're Star Wars fans. We're just supposed to like it because it's Star Wars. You know, you know, eat it up, kiddies. We're giving you more Star Wars. I think that's the same kind of thing that J.J. Abrams ran into um, when it came to uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Now, granted, I really enjoyed Star Trek Into Darkness, but thinking about yeah. it in... In relation to Wrath of Khan, um, no contest between the two. It's, it feels as though what Abrams decided to do was say, well, we're going to make a sequel, just like, you know, Wrath of Khan was a sequel to the Star Trek, the motion picture. We're going to make a sequel here and we're just going to grab elements we know people like from other stories and just kind of cram them into one tale, give it our own little spin. And well, Trek fans are going to like it because it's got these moments in it. And hey, it's Trek. Um, it, there, there are interviews out there in which people like uh, no, Orsai, one of the writers of it, people like um, uh, Oh Sean of the Dead Dude, whose name just all of a sudden disappeared Simon from Peg. Simon Pegg. Simon um, Pegg. Where they're like, like basically saying, screw you to the critics and the fans who didn't like the film for raising valid issues with it. Um, no. Just because something is from a franchise that we actually care about and we're going to try to read everything that we can – and we will wind up buying most of it if we're collectors like I am, Um that doesn't mean that anything you put out is automatically good. And it doesn't uh, cause you to escape criticism when it's not. It, it's not just a Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin thing. This is something that just kind of seems like it is a prevailing wisdom out there that as we enter this era of Star Wars as maybe this version of the EU is tapering down, like I said earlier, it's like the the, the target that they're shooting for is mediocrity, not excellence. We get, every once in a while, we get something like Kenobi or Dawn of the Jedi or Agent of the Empire, but most everything else that's being published right now falls short of the mark of greatness that we had just even a few years ago Mm -hmm. in Star Wars, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's something on their end trying to appeal to broader audiences. I don't know if it's something where, you know, just the, the, the engine is running out of gas and maybe there needs to be a break taken or a slacking off of the amount of Star Wars stuff that we're getting, kind of like they did with Trek for a while, or what. But something's got to give somewhere. Um, yeah, a lot of new Star Wars fans are going to be brought in and you're going to be making big bucks once Episode 7 comes around and once Rebels comes around. But don't you want the longtime fans to stick around? Don't you want people to buy your stuff in the meantime, not just because it has the name Star Wars on it? Don't you want them to be able to say, you guys are doing a great job, keep it up? Isn't that something that's on your radar anymore?
1: I would hope so. I mean, when I think about Darth Vader stories, I'm already thinking there's a character who's limited in what we're going to be seeing. I mean, I'm looking for them to raise the bar on what I expect in a Darth Vader story. I mean, when you're setting it in this time frame, I'm expecting a Purge-type story, a story where he's going after some last rebellion, last Separatist group, something like that. Um, And what do we get a lot of? Oh, it's a test from Palpatine. It's another test from Palpatine. Someone's trying to kill Vader. Uh, I mean—
0: and it, add on it, wait, and add on to that, not only is someone trying to kill Vader and it's another test by Palpatine, it's yet another instance in which Vader is the fulfillment of somebody's prophecy out there.
1: <laughs> yes, that too. Yeah, too. I mean, and, and again, they they delivered a lot of really cool stuff to have me interested, but then they don't deliver on the impact of those things i mean why introduce something and then not give me the connections to it i mean you know oh here's this really cool thing i mean do you plan on going back and, and rehashing this later no this is just a one and done element and and one and done's to me like i don't know one and done needs to be memorable and in this case, there wasn't anything memorable about it except for the fact that it was a one and done. Like, if they'd have given you more about the Heinz cult and what the heck they were doing, or the Assassin's Guild and what they were about, or if they were even an Assassin's Guild, I mean, there's nothing to go there. We have no idea the name of the planets, the no name of the characters. I mean, that, 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 like you said, you know, when we're sitting here having to describe these characters and then give you names like the Baron because we have nothing for him, that seems a little, I, I, I don't know so what i'm looking for here uh half
0: <laughs> well it's funny cuz i'm going through here and the one thing that wikipedia does that i like is that from time to time you'll find that when when new issues come out even if there's no summary um and frankly i, I almost never read wikipedia summaries because i wind up writing my own i just turn back to the timeline when i when i get to that point but they will put a publisher summary The thing that was used for the solicitation text. And it's always interesting to go back and see how an issue was solicited. How it was put out there for sale through something like the previews uh, comic magazine, right, from Diamond. And it's funny to go through the ones for this five-issue series. The first one says, Eight assassins hired to murder Darth Vader. Eight assassins dead. Though, of course, we don't know that for sure. They even say that in the comic. Now the man who enlisted them seeks a ninth assassin. The price. The price? a cost higher than all the credits in his bottomless coffers. But when it comes to avenging his son, no sacrifice is too great to acquire the one man who can kill the Dark Lord of the Sith. Sounds decent so far, right? Explains that why it's the ninth assassin. Uh, issue two. An unknown enemy obliterates a Star Destroyer. not really obliterated; He cuts it in half, but the halves are still together. An attempt is made on the life of the Emperor. Spoilers! A new evil has made itself known in the galaxy and Darth Vader is going to find it and crush it. But beware, warns the Emperor, this new adversary appears to wield a sorcery very old and very dark. And may I say that there is absolutely nothing about the Snake cult, other than them using the force to adjust the globe that focuses that basis beam, that at all feels to me like any kind of actual sorcery. And certainly nothing darker than the Sith. That does not seem to fit with the plot line to me. Yeah, um, the
1: temple itself or the planet itself. Again, going back to boy Palpatine could have shed some light in his own mind there, oh, the planet that the Sith once ruled. Like, I mean, that would have been a great plot point there where we could have just had him running on his mind about how it was a Sith planet once and something went wrong. And, I mean, nothing.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I get it, I got it. I figured out what the basis is. You remember in Clone Wars that the Night Sister's magic was green? right? And this is sort of a yellowish-greenish beam, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, When we saw one of the legs of Darth Maul get cut off, it's got that green mist coming out of it. When we saw Savage Opress lose an arm, it's got the red mist coming out of it. This is what Palpatine did with Maul after Clone Wars. He took him cut his legs partly off, and stuck like a pair of jumper cables to his little tattooed nipples, and went, and that's what this is. This is a an electrified Darth Maul green magic goop coming out of his sliced-off legs. Well, to,
1: that to would make take as much where you're sense going with us. this a step further, when we see the prophecy wall, there is a green lantern-like lantern in the middle of this, and maybe <laughs> this is the yellow fear factor of the lantern power and maybe the night sisters have the green one or something i don't know
0: (laughs) yeah that's right mother Townsend. in brightest day in blackest night no evil shall escape my sight because i'm causing most of it etc etc um yeah uh so basically the leader of the cult who doesn't get a name either we should simply call sinestro got it no problem (laughs) um issue number three darth vader's search for the culprits behind the assassination attempt on the emperor leads to a shattered star destroyer floating lifeless above a mysterious moon on the ground he finds no survivors instead ancient ruins and frightening inhabitants all the while a hunter follows waiting for the moment to strike yeah it's it's a good thing you added that last little line there because it would make us wonder why this is called the ninth assassin because he basically isn't apparently there uh and then, number four... Waiting
1: for the moment to be in front of Vader to behind him, chasing him like he said he wasn't going to do.
0: Yeah. Number four, in the ruins of an ancient moon, Darth Vader encounters an evil people with a dark prophecy and a powerful weapon. They are a threat to the Empire, and Vader will force them to serve or crush them all. And may I say, uh, unless this moon can move like a Death Star, I'm not sure how much of a threat that beam is. Just don't go to yeah. that moon, and you're going to be okay. Um, but then, of course, they <laughs> add to the end... Meanwhile, the assassin hunting Vader still lurks. Yep, cause he ain't doing squat really since issue number one, just following Vader around like a freaking obsessed puppy dog. Until finally, the last issue, having stalked Darth Vader, the assassin is now ready to strike. It's about time! Really? After
1: lurking like a noob, he's gonna get cut up.
0: <laughs> uh, it seems Vader, distracted by threats to the Emperor, could be taken. But the assassin has made one mistake believing that he has a chance against the most feared man in the galaxy. And when I first read this, uh, it says, but the assassin has made one mistake that immediately pops in my head in thinking that he was actually the main focus of the plot because he happens to be in the title.
1: Yeah, that was my thought too. I'm like, and, uh, thinking at all that an assassin would ever... When I first saw that title, it was like, okay, well, here's obviously someone's going to fail at their mission.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like a courtship of Princess Leia you knew Han was going to wind up with her. You knew it wasn't going to be Iceholder because you'd already read the Thrawn trilogy, you know? Uh, spoilers for those who are still living in the 1980s. Um, I don't know. It just... I We are just harping the living crap on this, but I think it's so indicative of some of the other issues that we've run into. Um, there are times... When Star Wars publishing goes awry and it seems like they need to refocus somehow to get back to the greatness that they had had in previous eras. Um, it's like anything else. It has its high points and low points. But it feels like, I don't know, the more that I think about where Star Wars is right now in this gap between the end of the Clone Wars and the upcoming Episode 7 and everything, it really feels like in most respects this is a downtime. Um Which I guess should make us all the more happy to get stuff like Kenobi. Where you know, we've got a really, really good, really solid story amidst all this other stuff that feels subpar um, in the grand scheme of things here. So,
1: yeah, At know. least there are books like Kenobi, because otherwise you would have that, we want more quality stories, quit putting out junk. I you remember about five years ago, that was the big cry. It was like, mm-hmm. we don't want long pages, we want good quality stories, who cares about how long the book is if it's junk? <laughs>
0: So on that note, I think that we can toss out an obvious recommendation not to check out Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin. Um, Though, if you like this story, if you are huge on this story, heck, maybe if you're one of the people reviewing it for the sites that Seidel talked about on his website that was giving it perfect scores somehow, then please let us know where we are going wrong with this. Because I see absolutely no way that this could achieve an amazing type of review score. Even in the best of circumstances, it feels mediocre. Um, so, yeah, if you liked Darth Vader and the Knight's Assassin, tell us why. Make the case for this story, um, and we can include it in one of our future feedback episodes and get back into this topic a little bit, because... I, we, this episode, because neither of us particularly were fond of this story, certainly does feel like it is very one-sided. It feels like it is a everybody jump on and bash dark vader and the Ninth assassin episode. And granted, it is not without being deserved in many respects, but certainly um, we can see the balance that is lacking in this particular one. He and I did not wind up with different opinions uh, on this one that could juxtapose against each other. We both wound up on the same bandwagon, only this time it was negative as opposed to positive like with Say Kenobi. Good. Use your
1: hate. Struck him down. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Give us your comments. Let us know what you guys thought about it. That about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you, guys, girls, once again, for hanging around with us as we ponder on, sharing in the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes. They're streaming online at the Star Wars Report website. You can find that at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, and we always encourage you guys to leave us a review while you're there. Uh, You can also find links to our episodes both on Twitter and our Facebook page at Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get to our Facebook page, be sure to like it. It is our home base, our community of choice, if you will. We are interacting on Twitter, but we do a lot more of it on Facebook. That is kind of the uh, community aspect. Uh, now, don't forget, though, you guys can also comment to us about the show. We love interacting with you, fellow fans. If you have any Star Wars and or EU questions or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at Lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you, our sponsor, Audible. They have that trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash StarWarsReport, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. That is a free audiobook. Uh, our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles that you can explore. You can get into the Star Wars Expanded Universe, our favorite genre, or any other one out there without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate, because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobooks, Audible just might be right for you.
0: That's right, and of course, be sure to check out the Amazon.com shop that my wife and I run, Little Joe Collectibles, that is Amazon.com slash shops slash L-I-L-J-O collectibles, all as one word. Got some cool sci-fi stuff up there, she's selling some old Barbie stuff if you uh, happen to be a collector of that or happen to have relatives who are collectors of that and such. I'm going to be putting a little bit more stuff on there very soon. Stuff that doesn't wind up being sold through uh, uh, friends on the Facebook page and whatnot. So keep an eye out. Cool stuff there. And again, every little bit helps as we're dealing with all of our financial crapola uh, recently in the Butler household.
1: And you can even help us directly. Uh, you can support us directly by going to www.starwarsreport.com slash support. Uh, down the road we're looking at doing like things like t-shirts and stickers and other cool little prizes and stuff like that to give away at conventions and cons and just for the heck of it. So, yeah, if you're looking to want to support the group, uh, that's how you can do it. It's not just help me and Nathan, but it actually helps the entire Star Wars Report podcast and the website. So, check that out. Once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler, who has decided to go off and get me a soda, so he's not here.
0: And Nathan.
1: Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you.
0: And don't quote us the odds that Dark Horse will consider this a success and bring Seidel back to tell a similar story.
1: Oh, you're back! I see how it works. Yeah, go sit in the corner.
0: has been up recently um we we'll could do the ninth assassin yeah we could do ninth assassin that's another piece of <laughs> shit <laughs> <What>? <laughs> i mean while, while we're on the subject of star wars comics <laughs> that are complete crap what? if we haven't on you enough in the last four weeks there's a more Darth Vader in the
1: lack of plot. <laughs> that was, that was, that looked so good at first, but then it unraveled
0: so quickly, I was like, what the is this? What was that ending issue even all about? And are we, are we supposed to believe that the gem he gets from this world is supposed to be for the Death Star, so that's the whole point of this story somehow or something? Oh, there was a point? Because I, is... I completely missed it. Oh, I mean, this is... Look, here's the gym. It does some cool stuff. <laughs> although, although the way that it wound up working for the, the temple, wouldn't you think that if you stuck that in the Death Star and then it got dislodged, the whole Death Star would just self-destruct like the entire freaking moon did or planet did? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I was just like, he goes up against that big winged
0: devil-looking dude, and that's like, he turned the page, I'm like... They pull the of Star Wars Volume 2 again! Yeah, all of a sudden everything just zips through, and just wait, because Star Wars Volume 2, number 9, is gonna be giving us uh, another person designing part of a freaking Death Star.